Give me a second to get situated. Sorry. Uh, my name's Colin. I work for Salt Company. So if I haven't met you yet, would love to meet you. Um, how are we doing tonight? All right, there are about 10 people here. I said, how are we doing tonight? Still not great. Um, I'm going to be honest, guys. Uh, here's why I'm, I'm trying to get you guys engaged, because Austin talked a little bit about conference, um, and I'm pumped for conference, but, but there, on Spirit Night, here, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you guys a warning, because uh, a, a handful of you have never been to conference before, because we didn't have it last year. So here's what's going to happen. On Spirit Night, they're going to get up, and they're like, there there are 22 salt companies. People are going to be like, oh, 4,000 college shoes. Ah. And they're going to be like, and we have students from Iowa State University and, ah, and the University of Iowa. And you guys are all going to say, okay. Well, whoever said, whoever cheered, we'll pray for you later. Um, but, and then they're going to say, and then there are students from the University of Minnesota. Honestly, from how, from when I first asked how you guys doing tonight to that, I'm pretty impressed. That, was, that, got, that got quite a bit better. Um, anyway, that was side note. But we're wrapping up our series, uh, Longing for More, tonight. Uh, last sermon in the series that we're, we've been in the book of Psalms. And, um, and so it's the, it's the last sermon in, the, in that book um, tonight. And as I've been thinking about this series, I've kind of been asking myself uh, throughout the series, what do I long for more of? Like, what, what is the thing that I want more of? And as I was thinking about this, honestly, one of the first things that came to mind is uh, talent. I just wish I was better at things, I think. Um, nothing that serious. I'm not, like, trying to, like, play the self-pity game. Uh, like, I just wish I was, like, a better bowler, you know? Like, I could show up and just beat people at bowling. That'd be awesome. I uh, played bocce ball with my uh, brother-in-law the other day, and I just wish I was better at that. Like, what if I was unbeatable at bocce ball? That'd be amazing. Recently, uh, watching the Olympics, I wish I was an amazing curler. Have, have you guys been watching curling? Those dudes seem like the most awesome dudes that are on the U.S. Olympic team. I'm, I'm not going to lie. They're, they just seem awesome. But, but anyways, I just wish I was better at things. Um, anyone else in the room, like a fellow they would consider themselves competitive. Anyone, show of hands. It's kind of hard to see. I got like a couple shures. I'm talking about like you hate to lose. You take card games a little too seriously. I'm, I'm competitive. Um, as, as I was thinking about this, guys, um, I was talking to Rachel, who's my wife, and she like kind of helped me to realize that I make life decisions based on my competitiveness. Like I'll choose to do something if I think I'm good at it, but more often I choose not to do things because I'm really afraid of losing and being bad at it. Uh, so I'm that kind of competitive where I make my life decisions based on it. Um, but here's what everyone that raised their hand has in common is you guys hate to lose, right? Like sure you like to win, but more than liking to win, you hate to lose if you're anything like me. But even some of you non-competitive people like, losing in a board game maybe doesn't bother you, but no one in this room likes to, like, lose at life, right? Like, be a loser. Like, elementary school kids figured out the insult of the century by calling people losers. Let me explain this to you. Let me explain this to you. You guys aren't with me, but let me explain it. You beat me at a board game, and you go, Colin, you're a loser 
at that board game. I'm like, you're right. That's true. Like, I am a loser at that board game. You walk up to me on the street, and you say, Colin, you're a loser. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, that cuts deep. If you just, like, called me a loser, like, Colin, you're a loser husband. Okay, Rachel, maybe, but any of you, I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> no, one, no one likes to be a loser. So you don't have to be competitive to resonate with that. Why? Because everyone in this room wants their life to matter. Everyone in this room wants their life to matter. You want to make an impact on the world. You want to like, have a legacy that extends beyond your life. You want your life to matter, but everyone, like in our culture, everyone whose lives have mattered, that you'd look back and you'd say they left a legacy. Their life is defined by their successes, their victories, and how much they've won. Let me explain this to you guys. Michael Jordan. Like, I could tell you, be up here and be like, Michael Jordan lost over 360 games in his career. True fact. Okay, no, why does Michael Jordan have a legacy? Because he won a lot more than that. Because he's an NBA champion. Because he's an MVP. He's the best basketball player of all time. That's the only come on I get all night. That's <laughs> all right. Moving on. Uh, Steve Jobs, guys. Steve Jobs got fired from his own company. Like, why? Why does his life matter? Not because he got fired by his own company, but because he arguably created one of the most, if not the most, influential company of the 21st century. His life mattered because he was a victorious, not because he was a loser. Last one. Thomas Edison, famous quote. This is what he says. I didn't fail. I found 2,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. I only need to find one way how to make it work. Here's the thing. That quote resonates with absolutely no one. You don't even know his name if the quote ends at, I didn't fail. I found 2,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. It's like, I could find 2,000 ways how not to make a light bulb. I promise you. Paper origami. Like, it's not a light bulb. You know what I mean? Like, it, why does his life matter? Why do you know his name? Because he, he found the way how to make, how to, he invented the light bulb. Like he figured it out. His life was defined by winning, by success. Here's my point. We don't think of, we all want success and we define it by what we've gained and what we have. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, like we step back and we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us have hopes of having really successful winning, victorious lives, and yet we walk into this room. I feel like the life that we've lived thus far is probably more defined by losing than winning. We all have dreams of living these awesome lives, and yet if we look, if we look at our past, we see that we're losing maybe more than we see that we're winning. Maybe you come into this place feeling down. Like you told yourself, man, this is the last week I'm going to Salt Company before I just... Before I like give up. This is the last week. If I don't find hope this week, I'm done. Maybe you come in feeling lonely. All the people around you are in relationships, but not you. You feel lonely. 
Maybe you come in hurting. Maybe the, the year 2022 has actually been a lot harder than you thought it would be. Like everyone was talking about New Year, and it's honestly just been really, really hard. Maybe you come in with thoughts that you haven't fully processed from five or ten years ago. You're hurting. You feel like life's getting the best of you. Or maybe you come in and you're not really sure why, but you're just feeling down. You feel like you're losing more than you feel like you're winning. I think that's more of us tonight than we even think. Like, I, I'm guessing there are a few of you and you're saying, man, that's me. I'm, but I think I'm the only person Colin's talking to. And I just want to start by encouraging you. Man, you're, you're not the only one. There are hurting people in this room. And so I actually want to start the message tonight a little different than we start a lot of messages. And I, just, I actually just want to stop right now and just want to pray. And so if you guys would, before you kind of close your eyes, if, if you're one of those hurting people, or, or maybe you feel like, man, I've been that hurting person, and like that resonates with me, would you guys just, would you guys just stick out your hands when, we, when I start praying? And just ask that, that man, maybe I'd have a word tonight. God, God's word would have a word for you that would encourage you and, and bring you life. So would you guys pray with me? Um, God, I, man, I've been the hurting person. Um, I've had weeks where, yeah, I don't know why I'm hurting, but I am. I've had weeks where I, I look back at the last week and, man, I just feel like I'm losing, like I'm a loser, um, like nothing's going right, God. There are weeks that I look back and I ask, God, where have you been? And I think there are people in this room that are asking that same question. God, would you meet us tonight? We need you. Uh, we want to learn how to be hurting and how to follow you while we're hurting. Um, would you help us to do that by your spirit? Spirit, would you come and fill this place, fill our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Psalm 73. So if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, that's where we're going to be. You guys can go ahead and turn there. Um, and so this is, this is the question we're asking tonight is, how do we respond when it feels like everyone else in the world is winning? When it feels like everyone else in the world have, is having things go their way, and I feel like the loser. When everyone else is getting what they want, and I can't seem to get one thing right. How do we respond when it feels like life has gotten the best of us? This is the question the psalmist is asking. Psalm 73, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 2 is, is kind of where it starts. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So the psalmist looks out, and, and this goes on for 20, 20 verses, where he's looking out at his life, and he sees those who are far from God, who want nothing to do with God, are showing prosperity. Like he says, their bellies are full. They, they're getting all that, 
like it seems like they're the ones winning at life. They're the ones who are living the good life. And he says, but as for me, like as for the righteous, it seems like I'm suffering. I'm getting the short end of the stick. It seems like they're winning and I'm losing. Why is it that the one who's seeking after you is the loser while the one who's far from you seems to have seemingly has it figured out. Everyone's getting rich and having the time of their lives Well, I feel like I'm living my worst life. And man, if, if you guys are new to the Bible, like I just want to say, this stuff's in the Bible. Like the Bible gets real. Like this is, this is gross, this is grimy, but this is the reality of life that I think a lot of us feel sometimes. Like we we ask this question. We ask this question, is it worth being a Christian? Because right now it doesn't really seem like it. Man, this is the question that's asked in your Bible. So if you feel like I've asked this question before, is it worth being a Christian? Is it worth following Jesus? And it's like, ah, that's, that's kind of weird to talk to Christians about. That's kind of weird to talk to people at Salt Company about. No, actually your Bible talks about it. But what we're going to notice is how he how he goes he goes to God. It's not neat. It's not pretty. It's not put together. It's not like the type of prayer that would impress that that guy or that girl that's sitting next to you that hopes they notice you when you put your hands in the air. Like it's that's not the type of prayer it is. This is the type of prayer that's like, ugh, right? He's asking the question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be a Christian? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to keep going? He's asking the real prayer, the real things that are on his heart. And so my question for you is, what's the real prayer you need to pray? Like, what's the prayer that you've kind of been ignoring because it's not that impressive, but the prayer that you need to pray? We're going to come back to that idea, but I think a lot of us are in this same boat where we're looking out at those at Salt Company. It seems like everyone else has their life together. Everyone else has figured out how to be a Christian. Everyone else seems to have the blessing of God. Well, I can't quite figure it out. And you're asking the question, is it even worth it? Is it worth it to keep going? Maybe you're asking this question. Is it worth it? When it feels like it's more fun to get drunk than it is to be the sober driver. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to leave your boyfriend and girlfriend and go, go to your own home when it feels like it'd just be easier to stay, spend the night? Is it worth it to get a little bit worse grades in school so I can spend time with God in the morning? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to believe, to have faith, when it's just easier not to? Is it worth it to forgive that person, even though you know for certain they will never forgive you? Is it worth it to keep going? Maybe that's the question you're coming in to tonight with. And here's what I want to say is you're going to ask yourself these questions throughout the rest of your life. Man, I'm, I'm continuing to ask myself these questions. Is it worth it? 
as I was thinking about this, it, it brought me back to uh, something my high school basketball coach used to say, which is just funny. Uh, but it's like seared in my memory because he said it every day. He said, character is defined by how you respond when the going gets tough. So here's, here's the question. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond when you start asking these questions? Like when the going gets tough, when you start asking the questions, is it worth it, how are you going to respond? Because maybe the character of your faith is defined by how you respond when the going gets tough. When in the past, you started to doubt. When in the past, you started to ask these questions, how have you responded to the question, is it worth it? Maybe you're in that boat right now. Maybe you've asked that question before, or maybe you've never asked the question. What's your plan? What's your plan for when that day comes? Like, if you're the type of person that's never asked the question, is it worth it? What's your plan for when that day comes? Because that day will come. And if you're, I'm, uh, this is kind of an aside, uh, but if you're one of those people that, that's like, I've never asked that question and I never think I will ask that question because, like, my life's been pretty good so far. I don't see myself doubting or having something go wrong that I'm asking the question, is it worth it? I'm just going to be frank with you guys because I love you and I want to level with you. Man, open your eyes. Like, if the last three years have taught you nothing, life is incredibly hard. And it's going to get bad sometimes. So if you feel like I don't even have to worry about this, would you, would you just believe me that you do? Because I think you're going to ask this question someday. Or maybe you're like, I don't need to prepare. I'll figure it out when it comes. Again, I'm going to be frank because I love you guys. That is like unbelievably arrogant. Oh, I'll just figure it out when it comes. Man, when the worst day of my life hits me, I'll figure it out. So what's your plan? What's your plan? When you begin to ask the question, is it worth it? And some of you are just like, okay, I don't need a plan. I'm there. Like, this is me. We're going to keep going. Here's what we see in Psalm 73. But also in the rest of the Psalms, or in a lot of the Psalms, I should say. We call these psalms of lament, psalms where we cry out to God with our honest, gross, not put together prayers. That the answer to the question, is it worth it, is not having the perfect answer, but going to the right person. It's not having the right thing to say back to God, it's actually going to God in the first place. Throughout the psalms, we see David do this. He gets into situations where it feels like the world is against him, and he cries out to God. It feel, when it feels like God has abandoned them, they say, God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what they do. They sing songs to God. They include the gross, grimy in their songs to God. And I'm not saying you have to be a musician, but I do think there's something to learn from people who turn words of doubt into songs of praise. There's something to learn from those people. 
Here's what I think a lot of us think, is that the people who cry out to God in their agony, like, God, why? God, why have you done this to me? God, it feels like you hate me. God, it feels like you've turned your back on me. Man, we look at those people and we think, I think our instinct is, they're not the Christian, they're not the follower of Jesus, maybe they shouldn't be at Salt Company. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. What we need to see is that those people, the people that cry out to God in their honesty and in their brokenness and in their pain, those are the people that trust God the most. Those are the people that say, he is strong enough to carry my weightiness and my brokenness and my junk. Here's how I thought about this. Uh, lighten up the mood a little bit. Uh, you guys know um, when you're at a dinner with a bunch of people and maybe you're sitting at one of those big round tables and someone across the way has like a little, little piece of lettuce in their teeth and you go into crisis mode because you're like, what am I to do right now? Do I like tell everyone at the table? Do I kind of text you under the table? And you, like, you're just freaking out because you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do, right? Any, anyone else ever kind of been in that situation where you're just like, ooh, this is, I don't know, this is, this is tough. Here's what, here's what I'll say. Here's what you guys know from life. Like, just, this is just life experience. In that situation, the people that you're honest with, that you're like kind of willing to call out, maybe across the table, maybe text message, whatever. The people that you're honest with, are the people that you love. Like the people that you love the most are the people you're most willing to be honest with. How much more is that true? If that's true about lettuce in the teeth, how much more is that true about the deepest hurts of our soul? We share the deepest hurts of our soul with the people that we love. And so you sharing and crying out to God even if it's against him. Like, God, I feel like you hate me. You going to God with that actually means you trust him. He's able to carry that. And here's what we're going to see in the psalmist in Psalm 73. This is how he turns his words of doubt into songs of praise. This is what it says, verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So how does the psalmist answer the question, is it worth it? How does he answer the question, is it worth it? He says, my heart and my flesh may fail. I'm dragging. I'm barely making it. But then he says, my, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But God. The answer is not, oh God, you make everything better. Oh God, I need a little more faith because the reason I'm hurting is because I didn't have enough faith or because I did something that was sinful and so you're punishing me. That's not the answer. The answer is, oh God, my flesh and my heart are failing, but, it, but you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my portion. You see, I'm 
having the hardest days of my life, but God, you are unchanging. You are my rock. Your presence is near to me. The thing that makes it worth it for the psalmist, when he's asking that question, is it worth it to keep going? Is it worth it to continue to follow Jesus even when it feels like everything in the world is telling me not to? His answer to that question is yes, because I have the presence of God. Yes, because even on the darkest days of my life, God meets me there. What does Psalm 23 say? Yes, because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. The psalmist is experiencing the presence of God. And here's what I want to say to you is you can't experience the fullness of God's mercy and grace and kindness and strength and sovereignty and providence for you unless you go to him with your junk. Unless you go to him with your true, honest, raw emotion. You can't experience all of who God is unless you give him everything. So my question for you is this what you do. When you start answer, asking the question, is it worth it? Do you go to God with everything? Do you run to God or do you run to something else? Do you run to the one who is your rock or do you mask your pain with some substitute? So I'm going to ask this question again. It's kind of the theme throughout the night is, man, what's the real prayer you need to pray to God? What's the junk you need to take to him today? I don't want you to run to something else because that will never satisfy you and that will never heal the the deepest hurts of your soul, but God can. He can hear you. But I think a lot of us are afraid to pray these type of prayers because here's what we're afraid of. Is we don't want to come across as more weak and afraid than we already are. We don't want to admit more weakness. But I want to invite you into an honest prayer life with God. I just want to invite you to the better life of praying honest prayers to God. Guys, Jesus, who's like our perfect example in the Gospels, oftentimes we see throughout the Gospels that he goes away to pray. And we don't actually get a window into that very often. All we hear is like, Jesus went away to pray. Jesus went away to be with his Father. But we do get one in the book of Matthew. And this, it's one of these real prayers. It's one of these honest prayers. It's one of these kind of grimy prayers. If you know the context, this is, this is Jesus, and he's about to get arrested. He's, he knows death is ahead of him, and he goes to a garden. And this is what it says, Matthew 26, 39. And going a little further, he fell on his face. Think of that. The God of the universe in human flesh falling on his face. And prayed, saying, my God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Later on in the book of Matthew, a couple verses later, he does the same thing. He falls again on his face. He says, God, please, please take this cup from me. This cup of death, this cup of wrath, please. Take it from me. Why? What's Jesus' honest prayer? Father, 
I don't want to die. Father, I don't want to experience separation. Father, please, I want your presence. I don't want the cup. I want your presence. I don't think we run to God because we don't think he'll meet us in places like this. We are so afraid that when we bring our honest prayers to God, he's going to turn his back on us and walk away. It's like one of those relationship nightmare scenarios where we bring the junk of our life, our past, our history, the things that aren't that pretty to to maybe that guy or that girl for the first time and they walk out on you. That's like nightmare scenario and I think a lot of us bring up that scenario to God and say, I'm not willing to go to God with what I actually got because what if he walks out on me? So how do we know God won't walk out on you? Well, let's fast forward in the book of Matthew. But this time, Jesus doesn't cry out to his father in the garden on his face. Jesus is hung up on a cross, and this is what he says. He says, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. Next time, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out for the presence of God in a way that you never could because the presence of God actually left his son. Because Jesus, the eternal son of the father, was separated from the father. We ask God why he has forsaken us. God, why does it feel like you have left me in a way that that Jesus never could? Why? Because for us, that's only a feeling. It only feels like the presence of God has left you. But with Jesus, the presence of God left him. The presence of God left the Son to ensure the presence of God would never leave you. So when Jesus says... I will never leave you or forsake you. All you need to do is look back to the bloody cross and say, that's proof because he took my place. I know he won't leave me because the presence of the Father left the Son for me. The bloody cross is proof that the presence of God will never leave you, even in the darkest moments of your life. The cross is proof enough. And so if you're new to Saul Company, this is what we call the gospel. This is what we call the good news of Jesus. Not that life is all butterflies and roses, but frankly that life is really hard and kind of sucks sometimes. But we don't worship a God who's unfamiliar with pain. We worship a God who actually experienced the most pain. We worship a God who put on human flesh and separated himself from his father so that wouldn't happen to you. Man, maybe you've been coming to Saul Company for a long time and you're still trying to figure it out. You don't know if you should put your faith in Jesus. You don't know if this Christianity thing is for you. Here's what I want to say to you. If you want the assurance that God will never leave you no matter what happens to you in your entire life, 
highs, lows, mountains, values. If you want the presence of God to go with you wherever you go, would you put your faith in Jesus? Would you give him everything? Would you give him the junk? Would you give him every part of your life? Because he is worthy of that. And his promise to you is, I won't leave you. I will not forsake you. And this is what happens to the Christian. Is that in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, you're freed from the penalty of sin. Like sin no longer punishes you anymore. You're freed from the power of sin. You can actually see victory over things you used to struggle with. But here is the lived experience of every Christian. And this is why sermons like this still exist. Is because even though you're freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, we're still waiting to be freed from the presence of sin. We're still waiting to be freed from the presence of brokenness. And I think a lot of you have put your faith in Jesus in this room and you're saying, yeah, it's hard. I've experienced that. I'm still feeling the brokenness of the world. That can't be it. Like I've experienced how the gospel heals hurts, but it doesn't do it all at once. I have faith, but I still doubt a little. You know you have the presence of God, but you still find yourself feeling lonely. You know you have victory in Christ, but you still find yourself feeling like you're losing. You know you have hope, but more, than, more times than not, you feel hopeless. So what is the answer? I can't stand up here. I can't stand up here and give you an answer or say it's actually not that bad or I know how to make it better. I don't know that it's not that bad. I don't know how to make it better. If there was something I could say, I would say it. If there was something I could do, I would do it. But life, we all know life is more complicated than that. I can't promise you a painless life, but what I can say to you is that it is worth it to hold on. Hold on to the promises of God as true. Hold on to his faithfulness as sure. Hold on to the blood that you see on the cross as proof. Hold on to his spirit as constant and hold on to his presence as near. Hold on. And I know that sounds overly simplistic and like, Colin, that's not that helpful. That's not that practical. What do I do about my pain today? But if the answer is not to hold on, like what other hope do you have? Like Saul coming to you. When you feel hopeless, where are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Maybe that's today. Where are you going to go? Maybe that's in two weeks. Where are you going to go? Maybe that's in 20 years. You start feeling hopeless and asking these questions. Is it worth it? My question for you is where else will you go? Like, are you going to go to alcohol? Are you going to go to alcohol to mask the problem? Are you going to go to a new relationship to hide the problem? Are you going to work tirelessly for that new job, for that promotion, for the better grades? That'll just amplify the problem. Where else 
will you go? Guys, it is foolish. It's foolish for a Christian who's feeling hopeless to run to something else and give up the little hope that they do have. Will you guys just trust me and hold on? Will you hold on? Will you cling to the God who's present and near even in the darkest days of your life? Because here's what I want to say to you guys. I've been out of school long enough, and I haven't been out of school that long, to see friends of mine who sat next to me at Salt Company, who lifted their hands in worship, who said, I'm all in on the kingdom of God. Get a year out of school, get two years out of school, they start feeling hopeless, and they run to other things. Guys, there's nothing that makes my soul more sad than seeing people that I love, people that led with me in Salt Company, people that were in discipleship groups with me, turn and run to other things. This is why God, God calls himself a refuge. Why? Because he is your shelter. When the world feels like it's closing in on you, would you hide in God and hold on? And hold on because glory is coming. Hold on because glory is on the other side of your hard days. Hold on because his promises are true that he's going to return and he's going to restore all things. Hold on because one day he will wipe away every tear. Will you hold on? Would you hide in him? Would you hope in him? Would you allow him to protect you? Here's how I'm going to close. I'm going to just read this quote from uh, a pastor whose name is John Piper. And I think this quote is just like, is pure gold. This is what it says. Every cave that you're in, wandering along, feeling the rocks, Stumbling, stepping, bumping your head. Every cave that you're in is a tunnel that opens into glory. It opens into a day like today in heaven with the sun shining and the grass green and the waters flowing. As long as you don't sit down in the cave and blow out the candle of faith. Soul Company, would you hold on? Would you go to God with your honest prayers? Let's pray. God, I don't know the I don't know the honest prayers that need to be prayed. But you do. God, I I ask that you would hear the honest prayers that are being prayed right now. God, maybe they're honest prayers for the first time. God, maybe they're prayers that feel gross and grimy. They're prayers that make us feel like we're not a Christian. They're prayers that we never thought we'd pray to you. But God, would you hear our prayers? God, by your spirit, would your presence descend on this place, descend on the people that are praying those prayers. God, would you instill in us the sureness 
the absolute certainty that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, God. We believe you. And we long for more of you. We want more of your presence, God. Because as we start walking in the fires of life, we need to know that if we turn to our right or our left, you will be there beside us. That there's another one in the fire with us. God, that it's you yourself in the fire with us. God, would you instill that in our souls so deep that there's nothing in this world that can uproot it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.